Hello, everyone. And welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, our 21st episode. Yeah, SOS 21, 21st episode. We're doing good. And it is Thursday, so we'll be talking about the Gospel of Matthew for the second week in a row on Thursday with our Gospel Project. Um, I did finish reading the Gospels of Matthew. I'm not sure I read it thoroughly enough to speak upon it with any authority, but I did read it, so I will talk about it. And I think a lot of times people will speak upon stuff with authority that they haven't read at all. So I'm a little bit ahead of the game, right? That's right. That's right. And I know that I can speak upon it because I've read it in this last week, but I will say not with authority. You know, I'm just a guy who read it once. And you said this right when we started this project. You said, um, you know, the Bible's the type of thing that you gotta, you got to take a chapter and spend a day talking about it. And we're trying to do half a book in, a, in an hour. And it is a rapid fire type of thing. It's not like a novel where you say this happens, that happens, that happens. It all sort of means this. Um, it's the book of Matthew, the stories within it could be 20 novels. Uh, so you're trying to unpack quite a lot, uh, in a very short period of time. It's just a rapid fire type of thing. Yeah. You'll have five verses or eight verses or 10 verses or 15 verses. And that's a story. Mm -hmm. uh, and a chapter may be, you know, 30 verses. So you'll have three or four stories in that chapter. And I will say, you know, I read this. Sometimes I get into the middle of a... Oh, my microphone's not close enough. There we go. Sometimes I'll get into the middle of a uh, uh, parable, and my eyes will just sort of glaze over, and I'll tune out. And I feel bad about it, but if it happens for me as a educated adult man... How are you going to teach the Bible to children with uh, the King James Version, at least? I also, I bought the uh, New American Standard. I don't have it pulled up on this computer. It's on my Kindle. Um, uh -huh. And I started reading that, and I think that's a little bit more, just because it's not uh, 17th century dialect, a little bit more digestible. But still, it is, yeah. re reading it, it's like, ugh. I don't know. But the, but the New American Standard is very close to the actual translation. It's not a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing about the Bible, uh, you think of the book, and so you read it, and it's a story. So you should read it like a story, but it's not like a story. You don't read it like a novel, like you said. Uh, I would say uh, you really read it like a textbook, and like you'll have a passage, and that's what they call about. That's why they say passages. So you'll have a passage of, you know, five or eight, eight verses. Well, uh, to actually read it and really understand it and get a lot out of it, you read those eight verses the way we used to do it. You read those eight verses over and over and over and over again. And every time you read it, you get something else out of it. Mm -hmm. And you, you have the literal version of it. And then you'll have, well, what did he mean by that? And then how did the people there take it? And then how did the disciples see it? And then what does it mean to me? What does it mean to us? What does it mean to uh, to our society? And so there's it's it's chock full of information. And so I think that's why the Bible has has lived so long, that especially the Gospels 
because Jesus taught a lot with parables. So you take uh, the parable, uh, any parable, a lot of parables, by the way, there's I don't know, 15, 20 of them. And uh, each one, you can uh, interpret it all. You can apply it at so many levels in so many areas. Uh, yeah, and if we just want to start, because we did the first half last week. Let's just okay. start, start with chapter 15 with a little reading. We'll just start reading chapter 15. This is what I'm talking about where your eyes glaze over and you stop paying attention. So should I read this? Go right ahead. We're at chapter 15, verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tra tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So I'd like to point out here, Jesus' disciples did not wash their hands before they ate, which is kind of gross. But he answered and but, said unto... <laughs> but wait a minute, wait. The point of this, though... <laughs> okay, we got to be careful we don't analyze this too much. But the point of this, the whole reason for that, that verse, that one verse, was what the Pharisees and scribes, these are the religious people, mm -hmm. they come to actually challenge Jesus. They came to challenge him. Yeah. And they tried to trick him up. And they says, wait a minute, look. Oh, they're doing this. That's against the law. Why are your people doing things that are not according to what the elders teach? So you are against the church, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that it happens today, too. They blame you, but they're not blaming Jesus. They're blaming Jesus's disciples. Yeah. So are you teaching them to do this? It's kind of like uh, Hunter Biden did this. So therefore, why is your son doing that? Oh, yeah. Uh, or a, gr a group of angry protesters that Trump spoke to immediately went to the Capitol and rubbed poop all over the walls. But... Just because they're Trump supporters, does that mean that's how what Trump believes that should have been done? So that's what's happening here. They're, they're trying to trick Jesus. And they're not talking about what they did. They're talking about they did this and why. Uh, then, they, then they say, um, uh, why do your disciples do it? So they're not, they're not concerned with what happened. They're concerned about him uh, saying the wrong thing about allowing them to do it or why they did it. Yeah, I mean, I think... So it's we, not about them doing it, it's about why are they doing it. If we parse the, the two verses, the two, 15.1 and 15.2, I mean, what you're saying is, the important part is here. Why do thy disciples transgress the transition of the elders? That's what you're focusing tradition. on. They're, they're transgressing tradition. What I'm focusing on is, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread, which I think is gross. <laughs> I think the elders had that tradition for a reason. You probably should wash your hands before you eat bread. But uh -huh. so, like you said, here we are. Um, two verses. Two verses. <laughs> We've gotten a solid five-minute argument out of it because I'm on the side of the bad guys, the Pharisees. I think you should wash your hands before you eat bread. Is, <laughs> is that so wrong? No. There's so many ways to take to take this stuff. So shall we? And, it's, and none of it is really wrong either. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. There's a reason okay. why the tradition of the elders was established. It wasn't actually religious righteousness. It was microbial righteousness. <laughs> it's good health. Yeah. Um, and then this is what Jesus. When Jesus starts talking, sometimes I'm like, okay, what is he saying? Uh, uh, I'm confused. Um, Sometimes it seems a little bit like double talk to me, but we'll get into it. So 
why don't they wash their hands when they eat bread? And Jesus, he answered and he said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor thy father and mother and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophecy say of you, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That seems like a lot of double talk to me. I don't know. Well, do, should we unpack that? Well, we could, but if we do this for the whole, we'll be here for days. But, the, you know, Jesus, he his arguments, one thing that I notice about uh, Matthew, uh, the way Matthew has, uh, has recorded Jesus' arguments, and I think Matthew was very attuned to how Jesus answered the, the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, and these were the learned uh, leaders, religious leaders of the day, is that he would always turn it around on them. Mm -hmm. Turn it on them. And and you mark, it's kind of like, uh, we talked about fallacies before, you know. And so you can look at this, oh, this is a fallacy. Well, maybe it is, but he's taking this as an opportunity to say, they may not wash their hands, but you dishonor your mother and your father. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so he says, which is worse kind of thing. And so he, he, he really turns it around uh, on the Pharisees, and he does it in such a way that he's not really, uh, uh, well, later on, you know, old scribes and Pharisees, uh, hypocrites, he does get more forceful. But earlier on, he just turns it around and asks the questions. Why do you do this? You transgress this way. Why do you do that? And so you think, well, does that mean washing your hands is right? No, he's not saying it's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. He's using it as an opportunity to say, yes, but you do this. And what you do is much worse than just not washing your hands. Um, but so so one, one is a command. One is a teaching of the elders. And the other is a commandment of God. So, yeah. Um, so, like, uh, evangelicals think, you know, homosexuality is a sin. But they would have to say what's much, much worse is a commandment of God, which is do not commit adultery. So if you've committed adultery with a porn star while your wife is at home with a newborn child and then you become the president, you're a sinner, right? Yeah. Another <laughs> analogy, which I like, and you say it much better than I do, is Eddie Murphy in his stand-up when he first, and he told this story and I'm going to get into the story, but I'm going to let you tell it. You tell it much better than I do. Uh, when he first started his stand-up, I mean, he used foul language. F this and F this and mother F. You know, it was horrible. And he got a, he got, he got, uh, a message by uh, Bill Cosby and said, you really shouldn't do that. So why don't you tell that? And that, uh, to me, I think this is what this is about. You remember that story you yeah. told me? Yeah. Well, he, he, uh, he talks about it in the second special. So there's two godfathers of black comedy. It was, uh, you know, Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor. And so Eddie Murphy comes along in 1982, and he's young. He's 19 or something. He does Delirious. And he's cussing a blue streak. And Bill Cosby gets in touch with him and says, you know, you're really, you're not 
portraying yourself well for the black community by cussing and discussing all these topics and blah, 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 blah. And so the first story is in Raw. So Eddie Murphy says, so I go to Richard Pryor and I tell him what Bill Cosby told me and asked him what he thinks. And Richard Pryor says, are they laughing at your shit? And Eddie Murphy says, yeah. And Richard Pryor says, are you making money? Uh, and Eddie Murphy says, yeah. He's like, well, then tell Bill Cosby to have a Coke and a smile and go fuck himself. <laughs> and uh, that's the original. And then Eddie Murphy, after 30 years, he hosted Saturday Night Live. And he retold that story. And he said, uh, and Bill Cosby, he was so mad at me for cussing in my early work. And he told me, you know, I was uh, setting a bad example for the black community. And here we are, 30 years later. And I am a stay-at-home father of 10. And he's in federal prison for the rest of his life. So I think he can go have a Coke and a smile. <laughs> for drugging and raping women. Uh-huh. To me, I think that's exactly what, to me, that's what's happening here. The scribes and Pharisees are saying, oh, well, you, you need to wash your hands. Yes, but look how you transgress against the law about your mother and your father. Okay, but I don't... I think it's similar. I don't get what the Pharisees did that's so bad. So can we go through it? Okay. Why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, honor thy father and mother. And he that cursed a father or mother, let him die the death. But you say... Who shall ever say to his father or his mother, it is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightiest be profited by me? Okay, what does that mean? Uh, that means is that... Um, if I dishonor you, but you profit from it, that's okay? It's a gift. Yeah. For whatever I do, you know, you, what, when I do something good uh, and uh, like... And you pro you're going to profit just because I'm good because I'm your son, you know, and so I don't have to help you. I'm going to help me. Mm -hmm. And so you may be hurting, but if I'm good, it looks good on you or it'll it'll trickle down to you. And so I'm not going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of myself. Uh, at least that's how I that's how I take it. Hmm. But anyway, uh, but notice the rest of it when he got done. uh he he always called them out on things, and they walked away, and they they didn't they didn't argue. They go, they walked away, and they were amazed. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't know. He's saying, um, yes, everyone that knows me are like a roving band of dirty hippies that don't even wash their hands before they eat. But the commandment says, honor thy father and mother, and you say. You go out there and forge your own life in this world, and if you do well, you will be honoring your mother and father, and that breaks the commandment. And I, I, that's basically what he's saying, right? Well, that's what the words say. We're not, we don't really know. We didn't live back then. We weren't there. We're not really sure exactly what, how serious this was. So I don't know. So I think, you know, empowering people to live their own lives and go out there and forge their own connections and relationships and careers. Uh, Jesus is basically saying that's a dishonor to the mother and father. Yeah, and then verse 12, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard these, this saying? 
But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. So I think what he was doing was was just calling them out, you know, how you're holier than thou, but look what you're doing. The best defense is a good yeah. offense. But I think what he's accusing yeah. them of, of sort of empowering people to go out there and live their own lives, even if it's against the wishes of their mother and father. In the modern era, that's how it works, right? Yes, but you have to know the the Pharisees and the scribes, their whole shtick was the law. Mm-hmm. It it was everything they stood for. It was every it was their power. It was everything. They were the 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 rulers. The they were it. You know, it was like uh, that's the reason they existed, kind of thing. Oh. And so he says, yeah, look what you do. And so they're, they're using their authority to say, uh, you need to wash your hands over here, because uh, that's what the elders say. Uh, so they're the scribes and Pharisees. But then Jesus says, yes, but then you have a law, and you even transgress your law. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me what the elders say. I'm telling you what you don't even follow the law. Mm-hmm. And I think back then... That was so shocking that this this carpenter from 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 Nazareth from Galilee would tell the scribes and the Pharisees that that they were offended and they were shocked that anyone would talk to them that way. Nobody talked to them that way. I I think again there there's some cultural things going on here that that he was he was in their face and that they couldn't they couldn't believe someone actually said that to them. Mm-hmm. That you're 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 calling me out on the law, I am the law. I represent the law. I am the law. That that's how they saw it. And Jesus says, uh, "You you are not the law." And uh, he just. But this is one story. As you go through, he did it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, actually, dozens of times. And uh, later on. You know, he says, oh, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he calls them out and calls them out and calls them out. Yeah, he, calls ca- them out. he calls them hypocrites here for 15.7. Ye hypocrites. Yeah. Well did as Isaiah's prophecy of you saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So basically, they're just But paying- in vain, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, yeah. not God. So he's saying you're not you're not righteous. Now, far be it for me to tell put words in Jesus's mouth. All right. <laughs> yeah. But you said fifteen twelve here. I say, if I were Jesus. Oh uh, wait, no fifteen. Where is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look. A f- but okay. Yeah. Fifteen twelve. Did you know that they were offended by what you heard? What what you said? And then Jesus said, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And then if I were Jesus, I would have said, but they kind of had a good point about that hand washing thing before you eat bread. <laughs> right? Maybe. That's what I that would was, say. But that wasn't important to Jesus. <laughs> that is important. <laughs> What's important to Jesus was the law, was his heavenly father. And look at the next verse. Okay. Look at the next verse. Um, it says, let, let them alone. 
they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Let me see what verse is that, 14. It says, let them, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So that's a lot more important to him than not washing your hands. Yeah. He didn't even address it anymore. Uh, and he, then, then answered Peter and said to him, declare unto us this parable. <laughs> and so then he went on. Yeah, he sort of explains it. Um, and I, you know, I know that there's like this, the Bible itself, the King James Version, whatever, you know, the New American Standard, they're putting it together. And it's like, yeah, well, he would really diminish his argument. If he said, and if the blind lead the blind, they shall both fall into this. But they did have a decent point about you washing your hands. That would really sort of take the oomph out of the story. Like you said, that's not what Jesus was focused on. But like Eddie Murphy didn't say, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have had that language. You're agreeing with him. He says, no, I'm not going to agree with him at all. <laughs> You're in federal what prison. What he did was so egregious, mm -hmm. you know. That, now, no. now, here's what my question. Um we go back to the, the scripture, what are they doing that's egregious? They're telling people that they can go out and live their own lives, right? That's what the Pharisees are doing. Oh, you mean what 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 is Jesus and, actually calling, and, and calling this, them out on? Yeah, he's calling them out on saying, the commandment says, honor thy father and mother. And if you curse your mother or father, you die the death. But you say... If you say to your father or mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. Basically, if I go out and be industrious in this world, even if that's not exactly in, def even if that's in defiance of your wishes, um, you can still be profited by me. And Jesus says, that's bad, right? We don't know. We don't know the limit to what Jesus is talking about. For example, uh, you are successful, you work hard, you're lucky, you're a millionaire, and your parents are on skid row, they're homeless, they live in a tent on Colfax, and they're begging uh, for their food, and you don't help them. Who knows how far it goes, okay? Uh, we really don't know the details. Let me put it that way. And so be, we have to be careful. We don't say, wait a minute. By today's standards, that's not so bad. But back then, we don't know what was going on back then. And it wasn't so much, it was about the transgression of the law that Jesus was talking about. Mm -hmm. And he was he was attacking the Pharisees because they would say, honor your father and your mother. But they really don't honor him. And so the transgression of the law uh, was the key thing that I think, to me, that Jesus was really attacking. It wasn't the severity of it. He said, look, you do this. And probably that was very obvious. Because mm -hmm. the Pharisees and the scribes and Pharisees were well-to-do. They were like uh, the they, senators. They, even more than that, they were the elite. They were the elite uh, as far as their authority. They were elite as far as the, their riches. They were they were they were well to do. They were the uh, the uh, the the top uh, of society. 
and uh, and who knows? He says maybe he knew some of their parents uh, were struggling. Maybe and they wouldn't help them. They wouldn't help them. We don't know. We don't know that. But we do know what he said, and we do know they were offended. I think the key is they were offended. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't seem like they brought up the hand washing thing again. No. But we do know the that. I don't think the hand washing was a law. It but was a tradition. honor your father and mother. It's a tradition. But mm-hmm. honor your father and mother was a law. So yeah, you're talking about tradition. But you undermine the law. Yeah, I think, I think that's what you're saying. All I know is that if I had a time machine and I went back and I saw Jesus and his disciples and they were breaking bread, I'd say, I'm not hungry. <laughs> well, I've thought of that so many times, David. If I was if I was one of the disciples back then, <clears throat> how would I write a gospel? What would I think was important? What would I put down if I lived through all this? Okay, and it wasn't that many years. It was only two or three, three or four years, two or three mm-hmm. years. But if I but if you notice from verse we're only on fifteen, through fifteen through twenty-eight. Jesus changed over those chapters. The disciples changed over those chapters. Jesus got much more aggressive, and the disciples began to understand where he was coming from and where he was going. You know, he's not holding back. Jesus didn't hold back. And I often thought, if we were there with him, walking and talking and sleeping and eating, and just if we were walking with him, watching him, being taught by him, I think uh, we would, from the very beginning here, the beginning of the ministry to the end, we would change. We would say, whoa, you know, wait a minute, you're really offending these people at the beginning. And they say, go Jesus, that's awesome. You are awesome. Whoa, yeah, give it to them. They says, wait a minute, you know, this is going to fall on me. Am I going to, am I going to, suffer the same things you suffer and he turned to him and says yeah you are yeah mm-hmm. you are so do you want to stay with me or do you want to leave so I think there's a whole continuum here that I think Matthew is trying to trying to show how how he got more Jesus got more aggressive but the disciples changed too mm-hmm. first shock and then yeah yeah uh, uh, supporting and then uh, and then fear then after he died, then the Holy Spirit came and brought them together. That's the storyline. Except for Judas. He hung himself. Uh, he had remorse. He had remorse. And uh, I remember uh, Denver Seminary. Uh, I, forget, I forget the renowned uh, professor's name. I'll remember it in a minute. I'm not good with names. But he told a story. He says, a young seminarian came to him and said uh, doctor oh his name was almost came to me anyway he was a professor at Denver Seminary and uh, and he said uh, the young young the young student came to me and said you know I have a problem why did Jesus call Judas Iscariot as one of his disciples. 
why did you do that? And doctor, I forget his name, he said, oh, I have no problem with that. He called Judas Iscariot to fulfill prophecy. The biggest, the bigger problem question I have is why did Jesus call you? Think about that a minute. In other words, we have the Bible and we can talk about what happened back then, but I think the reason we have the Bible is what does it mean to us? Mm -hmm. At least that's that's how they that's how they use the Bible, at least in circles that I've been in. Yeah. I mean like the I think this happened last week, the parable of the sower. You sow seeds and some land on the side, some land of the thorns, some uh they'll plant it and what you sow will come back a hundredfold or whatever. And he's talking about the word of God, but you sort of say, Yeah, that doesn't do me any good, but maybe <laughs> I go out there and I try to speak the truth. Some will fall on the stones and it won't take root. Some will fall on the thorns and people will take my words and and subvert them, but other people will listen to what I say and we might have a you know a fruitful relationship. And it's like, is that what God wants me to get out of it? Or does or is me equating my actions in life with the word of God? Is that blasphemy? Well, there's a, it's a big world. There's a lot of people. <laughs> and and since, since we're just saying things that pop into our head, I have something popped into my head. When I teach, uh, I tell uh, young faculty that come and I say, look, uh, remember, there, my, remember my 80-10-10 rule. No matter what you do, no matter how good you do or even how bad you do, when you teach students, 10% will love you, 10% will hate you, and 80% are just along for the ride. And that's kind of like the bell curve, and that's kind of true And uh, uh, when you teach. The same thing with, with uh, people when they come to the Scripture. That's why there's so many denominations. And I think when you recognize that, you go, okay, uh, someone could say it means this. Well, that's where their perspective. Someone says it means this. That's their perspective. But then again, uh, when the word of God falls on me, which one am I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> am I a stone? Am I a weed? What am I? You know. And so, uh, so what does it mean to you? That kind of thing. And so, a lot of the Bible, uh, because it's parables, uh, can be taken personally. And instead of reading too much into it, I think you know, what does it mean to me? And what it means to you today? may not may mean something very different tomorrow or the next day or in mm. the future that's what i mean by the word of god once they sow the word of god uh it's his teachings and uh, how are you going to uh, uh grow with it and how is it going to help you grow so we've we've gone less than one chapter <laughs> yeah should we finish off the description of uh the parable what, sure, is this, go ahead. What, what does this mean? And Jesus says, Are you not without understanding? Do you not understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast into the draft? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. So he's saying, 
you know, evil thoughts, murders, <laughs> adulteries, fornication, thefts, false, false witness, blasphemy. That's a sin. Not washing your hands before you eat. That's not a sin. I, I disagree, but. <laughs> well, what is sin? Yeah. See, because, uh, there again, it depends on how you define sin. And uh, sin uh, is defined, what I've heard, it's uh, uh, transgression against God. In other words, God says this and you don't do that. Mm -hmm. okay? So some things are better than others. It's, it's, it's healthy to wash your hands. It's, it's unhealthy it's not, to others. It's unhealthy to others. But it's not a sin because does God really, is that, a, is that something that God tells you to do? He tells you to live your life uh, with with your heart. Now, so anyway. I, guess, I guess they didn't really understand the uh, the fact that bacteria and viruses cause disease, and that <laughs> if you don't wash your hands before you eat, and then you break bread with people, you could kill someone, and thou shalt not kill. But they didn't understand that that was the cause, so it's like, oh, it's okay back then. Now, with our modern understanding, I think you could transgress. By not doing something preventative. I think what they didn't really understand was a transgression back then. Washing your hands, that's not a sin. Uh, you know, It is now, because we know that a, a bad eventuality could, could come from it. But is it a sin because you wash your hands, or you don't wash your hands, or is it a sin because you know that if you don't wash your hands, uh, that you could injure someone else? Maybe it's the knowing. So, so it, it's that's what he's saying. It's the heart that's the sin. It's not the action. So it's we, the heart. If it comes comes from the heart, there's where the sin is. It's not the action itself. We spent half an hour on less than one chapter. That's kind of like, like, yeah, less than one chapter. That's kind of <laughs> how it goes. Um, he does the loaves. He does the fishes, and then he goes into Jerusalem and he gets uh, killed. Let's cover yeah, that in the second half hour. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of low. There's a lot of food. Uh -huh. Did you notice that? Uh, so, like, he feeds the multitude. He does that more than once. He does it twice. Yeah, and he keeps he keeps talking about oh, they need food. They need food. Remember, I fed them. Remember, I fed them. And I keep thinking of Maslow's hierarchy. You know, like, you know, you give them food, but I think the reason Matthew talks about that is the food is a symbol of. He's providing them not only food for the body, but food for the spirit and food for the soul. And uh, I, I think he keeps talking about that. And so the parables are food for life, you know, just like the bread and fish is food for the body. So I, I know I, I see that connection. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that's kind of how I feel when I go through it. And he has multitudes starting to follow him, don't he? Yep. So I got a question. You know, this is uh, nitpicking. But you got to do that when you read the Bible a little bit. And then the answer is always like, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Um, <laughs> and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornications, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is putteth away, doth commit adultery. Does that mean anyone who gets a divorce because of irreconcilable difficulties that don't include fornication is an adulterer. And any so woman, chap chapter 19, verse 9, any woman 
who gets a divorce from a guy and remarries. She's an adulterer as well. That seems to be basic, explicitly what you, Jesus is saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Verse 9. 19.9. Yeah. Yeah. And then the disciples, and, and we would ask the same thing the disciples ask. Because if the relationship with a man and his wife was like this, is it better just not to marry? You know? And then he says, not all men accept this statement, uh, but only those to whom it has been given. And then notice the rest of it. He says, and, he's, and also before then he says, then why did, why did Moses allow divorce? He says, because of the hardness of your heart. But then for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Verse 12. And so... Uh, so if you're not able to accept it and you want to remarry, you're an adulterer. No, he's... Well... That's, again, what he's, that's explicitly what he's saying. That's what he's saying. But if you notice, he says, from the beginning, this is the order. But then, this, this is the order, but then because of man, I think also he talks about uh, the uh, Noah. It's like the time of Noah. From the very beginning, this is the order. But man has changed that order, and so because of that, you deal with man's disobedience or order or disorder. Uh, you deal with man, and God created man. And so you have, you have divorce, uh, you have all... You have people who are eunuchs and who don't marry and who do marry. And so you have all kinds of things going on. That doesn't mean that's the order. The order was was set at the beginning, whatever that order was. And I think that's all he's saying. They're saying, well, what about this? He goes, well, you know, and he says, you know, God has an order of things. But when you come to man, he says, you can't don't bring that. Don't blame man. Uh, for things to say, because the hardness of the heart, this is what's happening for life to go on and, and for for uh, for God's people to, to go on. And I, I, don't, I don't see it as a condemnation. Uh, I see it as saying, this is just the way things are. At least that's how I see it. And what does he say that up here? But he's calling it adultery, you know. He's saying that's a crime. Yeah. That's a crime. That's a, that's a violation of the commandment. In the Old Testament, they put you to death for it. If you meet a yeah. lady and you say, wow, I like this girl, and you marry her, and then it turns out she was married before, and her husband put her away. They got divorced for a reason other than fornication. Turns out you're an adulterer, and you should be stoned to death. Because by the law, that he's saying that's, that's the law, and that's true. That is true. But he's saying, but then he says, and notice he had, he had a woman come to him, and not in Matthew, I think another book, uh, who had committed adultery. And they were getting ready to stone her by the law. And he said, um, you know, those of you without sin cast the first stone, and they wouldn't because they'd say, I'm sinless. So he threw it back on them. Again, he turned it around on them. And then did he stone her? He didn't follow the law. He said, go and sin no more. 
And he says, I came, I came to fulfill the law. So the reason for the law is fulfillment. Jesus was there for fulfillment. And, uh, and uh, so, so the idea, I think it's the same, same issues here about divorce. It says, this is the law. But the fulfillment of the law uh, would be you don't violate the law, but you fulfill the law. And so the people, you know, technically, yes, they've transgressed and it's adultery and they should be stoned. But the whole point of the law is to not sin. And so if you go and sin no more then Jesus says, well, then that's uh, that's what you should be doing. The purpose of the fulfillment, fulfillment of the law is do not sin. And, and that's greater than law. Instead of nitpicking, I got a question. I want to take down uh, some televangelists a few pegs. Your mm-hmm. old buddy, yeah. uh, Richard Roberts, and his buddy, Kenneth Copeland. Uh, or Roberts. Or Roberts. But you knew Richard Roberts, right? I went to school with him, yeah. yeah. Went to high school. Went to high school. High, high school with him. Mm-hmm. He was ahead of me. We went to Memorial High School in Tulsa together. And, uh, but he was ahead of me. He was older than me. And his their good buddy Kenneth Copeland. We've been watching some of Kenneth Copeland's videos, right? You know him. We, yeah, I don't know him, but I've seen him on TV. And uh, he doesn't really seem that legit, does he? <laughs> You're not going to say anything. Well, no, let's... It's, it's he's he's uh, uh, he would fall in the lines of a radical Sadducee Pharisee. Uh, both Sadducee and Pharisee, uh, and I wouldn't call him a scribe because he doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, but he really is pretty, uh, uh, pretty uh, dogmatic about about what what he believes. Uh, let's see here, but not, but not, but not with knowledge, without knowledge, okay. and later. Empty sepulchers, and that's basically what Kenneth Copeland is. He's an empty, se- empty sepulcher. We're going to uh, play a clip real quick. Uh, hold on, let me run audio oh. through for you. Uh, where's Chrome? Where's Chrome? There you are. Audio for you. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Fear of this, this coronavirus is is faith in its ability to hurt you or kill you. Uh, the, 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 the fear of what are we going to do? I'm getting laid off at work. Hey, your job's not your source. If it is, you're in trouble. Jesus is your source. Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. Don't you stop sowing offerings. Well, they won't let us go to church. Well, email it in there, text to give or something, but you get your tithe in that church. If you have to go take it down there and drop it off and unstick it under the door or something, right, you right. get that tithe in that church, you get that offering in that church, and then you go home and you do what we're supposed to do. There you go. What do you think of that? What would Jesus say and do to that? <laughs> uh, and how is that different than the scribes and the Pharisees? And he went into the, t- he, he overturned the tables in the temple. Well, before, he says, before we ahead. get into that story, I'm not sure that story is in Matthew. But you know, it is oh. in Matthew. This little verse. 
Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Kenneth Copeland, there's also another clip, I didn't have time to pull it up, but it's of him explaining to a reporter why he needs a private jet. It's because God doesn't want him to fly with the demons on commercial jets. He wants him to be with righteous people on his private jet. And I would say to Kenneth Copeland, I'm pretty sure Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And ask him, how does he feel about that verse? Oh, I'm sure he'll come up with some reason. (laughs) He'll probably pull a... There is, you know, the prosperity gospel is what they preach. So it's like, if you're prosperous, it's because God is smiling on you, you know? Yeah, just like the scribes and Pharisees said, you know, if I'm good, well, then you're good. Mm Mm-hmm. Just just like he said, uh, back on whether, back on 15. I think it's the same concept, you know, that whatever... Whatever I do, whatever prop, whatever prospers me prospers you, you know. Yeah. So I'm looking at more. I don't have any other clips pulled up, but um, we're getting late into the hour, and so maybe we should talk about. You know, he went around it, preaching, and then he predicted his own death. He called his own shot. He did. He pulled yep. Babe Ruth. He said, "I'm going to go in here. <laughs> they're going to kill me." And I'm going to rise from the dead. This is what's going to happen. He called his shot. Um, And Matthew, I'll get to the later chapters. You know, there's a, you'll deny me three times. Judas, you're going to betray me. And then Judas felt bad and he hung himself. Do you think Judas is in hell? (laughs) I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. You, you know, one, you could say, you know, he betrayed Jesus. He's in hell. The other is that he he, he repented. He, he had remorse. He repented. And he killed himself because of what he did. And he's in heaven. The other thing, too, when you read that the passage of Judas Iscariot, he, uh, uh, I can't remember, he, he uh, turned them over. He turned Jesus over to, uh, like, like the... Uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, but then they turned him over to the authorities. Mm-hmm. To Herod. To, just, no, to Pontius Pilate. Herod was I, dead. I mean, Pilate, to Pilate. And so you think, oh, whoa, wait a minute, you know? It's kind of like, look what I started. I, I, I didn't want that, you know? It, it doesn't say that, but it's kind of like, he, he goes, oh, no, look what I, it's kind of like, Kind of like a, a spy will do something, and all of a sudden, those loose lips in the bar in World War II mm-hmm. caused thousands of soldiers to die, and I didn't, I didn't want that. Yeah. So you could, that could be an argument. I'm not saying it's true, but I'm saying that could be what was happening. We don't know, mm-hmm. but we do know that, G, that Judas uh, betrayed him uh, to uh, whoever it was, the scribes and Pharisees. And then, uh, and then, then they Pe- turned him over to the authorities. Peter denied him three times before the night was over. Yep. Um, but Peter says, I won't, I won't, I won't. 
And I, I truly believe Peter, did, Peter, Peter didn't uh, want to. And it also said everyone agreed. They were all in agreement. No, we're not going to deny you. Then they all did. Mm-hmm. So Peter was an example of what all the disciples did. Because and after he died, after he died, they hid. They didn't come out after his death. They didn't come out till after his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Acts of the Apostles is about. Um, let's see. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of stuff leading, like when the lady anoints him in oil. And they say, couldn't you have given that to the poor? And he's like, yeah, the poor will always be here. They're about to kill my ass, basically, right? Yeah. He says, no, you, you know, no. You do what's right. Uh, you don't. The, and also, so many times of, of so many uh, different uh, parables that Matthew selects to write uh, as you go through. You can just go through it. It's just so many parables of, uh, of uh, people rejecting him, and so he goes after the poor. If the rich people reject him, go after the poor. And, and whoever, welcome whoever comes, and they are going to be first. Whoever's last is first, whoever's first is last. And I think there was a lot of uh, class back then, and Jesus really attacked that. You know, like, no, just because you have a high class, high level, that doesn't mean you're going to be first in the kingdom. And uh, like the rich, rich ruler says, uh, I have kept all the commandments. And so Jesus will then go sell all of your possessions. Because mm-hmm. I can't do that. And so he says, well, okay, well, though those who are first among you in wealth and position may be last if you don't have the heart uh, to, uh, if you don't have the, the, the heart to worship God. Mm-hmm. And God, God doesn't come first. Your riches come first. And that's what it means by the love of money. Uh, uh, and also the eye of the camel, I mean, the to the eye of a needle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of explanations about that too. Uh, then why, then how can anyone? He says uh, all things are possible with God. I've heard a lot of explanations about that too. So people have scrutinized every little bitty point of the Bible. Like the eye of the needle is called uh, when you have a wall around a, a, a city. Uh, there's a small uh, where you you duck down to come in through the wall to come into the sea. And that's called the eye of the needle. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that more than once. Yeah, I mean, so I think the, the point is, I don't know, the point is, uh, cities didn't have needles eyes when the King James Version was written. So they say, eye of a needle, you're going to think a needle with thread that goes through it. That's what, you know, when they chose to translate it that way, and that's how the English-speaking Western world sort of sees the Bible, they'll think... A camel can't pass through the eye of the needle. I think what he's saying is you should pull a Bill Gates or you should pull a, a Warren Buffett where you die and your fortune's been given away. I think that's kind of what he's implying, what Christ is implying, where Bill Gates says, yeah, I'm worth $250 billion, but I'm going to give away 99% of that before I die. I mean, by all accounts, he'd still have $25 million or whatever. 250 million, 25 million. That's a that's a wealthy person. But you give away 249 uh 900 uh, you know million. 
so uh, I mean, I think what he's saying is pull a Bill Gates or pull a Warren Buffett and don't hoard your wealth and then die wealthy. You know, give it away. Like, put it to good purpose. I think that may, may be what he's saying with that. Is that possible? I think that uh, he's left, so I'm not sure. But yeah, I want to point out this other uh, verse. I think the woodpecker is pecking on his house. Uh, now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on his body. She did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Um, I kind of like that verse. Basically, mm -hmm. you know, she wants to do a good deed for him, and his disciples are like, oh, no, bro, you know, you should sell that oil and give it to the poor. And Jesus is like, just let the lady do something good for once in her life. Like, you can't be... I guess you can't always be looking to do something more virtuous. You know, what she was doing was virtuous. And like, couldn't it possibly be more virtuous? And I think what Jesus is saying is like, listen, like at some point you just got to be happy. Perfect's the enemy of the good. She's trying to do something good for me, you know? Yeah. So I kind of like that story. Yeah, that's good too. And I like that, like perfect. Uh, oh, there's something better than that. Uh if you keep trying to find something better, you're never going to stop. You'll never get anything done. You never do anything. You never do any good. You know, so, oh, I could do something better than this. If you don't do anything, that's the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> take Wayne, some shots. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like after reading uh, the Bible, whenever I want to make a point... From now on, I might say, verily, I say unto you. And then, and then say what I'm trying to say. Verily, I say unto you. In other words, he's saying, you know, this is the truth. I'm mm -hmm. telling you the truth here. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, and then uh, toward the end. Oh, so many. I, I didn't write these down. I probably should have written this down. There's common themes. There's common themes through his parables which were, was very interesting uh, about about um, uh, whoever's first is last and last is first. Uh, we go out to the multitudes, bring the multitudes in. Uh, and uh, and also, uh, he was going to die. And and are you greater than the master? Uh, so And you're going to be persecuted too if you want to uh, follow me. And they all did uh, mm -hmm. want to follow him. And they did, except for Judas. But even Judas uh, uh, had remorse for betraying him. And uh, so there's common themes uh, in Matthew. And I think that's when people study this. They say, okay, 
Well, Matthew uh, takes his parables and then, and also miracles. There's quite a few miracles, like walking on the water, and then Peter says, oh, ye have little faith. The so loaves, we have miracles. The loaves and fishes, and then, of course, obviously the resurrection. Then the resurrection, and the transgression. We have the, the amount of the transgression in here. I mean the transgression. The transform, uh, transubstantiation? The trans transformation on the mount uh, where, uh, what's it, what's, I'm tr what word am I trying to think of here? What's the story? How does the story go? When he was transformed in his glory and he was walking with Moses and Elijah on the mount. Transfiguration. Uh, he was, the transfiguration story is in here where he is transfigured into his glory. And he says, uh, uh, some of you will not uh, die until you see the Son of God in his glory. And then they took uh, uh, Peter and John and then up to the mountain, and he was transfigured before them. And he was walking with Moses and Elijah. That, that story. That the upon this rock you shall build my church. Is that what he tells Peter? Oh, yeah. 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 And also, oh, yeah, a lot of people use that. Here's the church, and that's why Peter and the Catholic Church is kind of thing. But, yeah, churches, back then there was no church. Mm -hmm. And the the actual word in Greek, I, I, I have an inner letter of Greek, and the actual Greek word that was used there uh, is... Uh, is the root word for ecclesiastical. Uh, it's really the collection. It's an assembly. So he had the multitudes, but then from the multitudes, he calls out an assembly and he says, that's the assembly. So the disciples or assembly after he died of people coming together, that's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Well, so I mean, the church. I think we're approaching the end of the hour, and of course, there's no way to cover all of this. You could go through, we talked about the washing the hands thing and the honoring the mother and the father thing for half an hour. And that's... <laughs> 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so we could really do that with every chapter. We could do 30 hours on this book, but this will be the last we have to say about it. I just want to say, yesterday was Ash Wednesday. Tuesday was Mardi okay. Gras. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the Catholics, they do their, their thing with the thing. Uh, they have a lot of rituals, and I think that that brings people into the church, these rituals, you know. You sort of, this is us, not them. But Ash Wednesday and Lent is a, is a Catholic thing. Like, the Protestants don't really do Lent, right? You didn't do Lent growing up. But I like the idea of Lent, just Jesus spent 40 days. It's funny because it's sort of divorced from... So Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. And it lasts till the Monday after Palm Sunday, if that makes sense. Because that's how the, the days work out, 40 days. Because they know it's a Wednesday and they know it's a Sunday. You know what I mean? So the mm -hmm. last day and night of Lent is Palm Sunday. And you're supposed to give something up for 40 days. And that's because Jesus, before he started his ministry, went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights where he was tempted by Satan. But the interesting thing about that to me is that that occurred way before the story of Jesus' crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. Do you see what I'm saying? They're taking something that happened to Jesus' youth before he started his, his ministry, and then they're associating it with a time period that's associated with his crucifixion.
crucifixion and resurrection, which is at the very end of his life. So Lent is about the 40 days and 40 nights Jesus spent in the desert. But that temporally is actually in scripture not connected to the Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday story. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he didn't necessarily spend 40 days and 40 nights in the desert in March and February and early April. It could have been any time of year. It could have been the height of summer. But I think that it's just like, oh, we're going to use that story and connect that to this other story. And that's what Lent is. And that's fine. Whatever. If you want to do it, I'm on board. But I just, I think it's fascinating reading the Bible and you're like, oh yeah, what's the deal with Lent? Like 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm like, wait, I just read Matthew. That was before any of this crucifixion stuff happened. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so they're using, the, you know, the crucifixion is like the Super Bowl of Christianity. It's the big, it's the holiest day. Easter Sunday is the holiest day in the Christian calendar. And so, um, you know, hearkening back to the beginning of his ministry, where he deprived himself of food and water for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, it seems a little superfluous because the stories of his crucifixion and resurrection and his trip into Jerusalem, they're already pretty, uh, pretty spiritual. Like, you don't need to add something from earlier in his life, like a little callback, but the Catholics do it anyway. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they're taking the whole story as far as the four days and four nights is a purification, uh, sanctification, uh, so that they can uh, worship. Uh, it's the death of the flesh mm -hmm. or the, the purification of the flesh so the resurrected Christ can enter into them. It's preparing their body and their vessels for, for the Holy Spirit. I also feel like, uh, you know, Lent, giving something up that you feel like is sin or, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, if you love whatever, like if you love snacking at midnight and you say for 40 days and 40 nights, I won't snack at midnight. I won't snack after 10 p.m. And you wake up in the morning, you have breakfast you know, around midday, you have a nice lunch, you eat a good dinner, and then you're snacking at night, and it's 9.30, 9.45, and you're like, wait, it's Lent. Jesus didn't have food or water for 40 days. I can put away the smart food popcorn <laughs> at 9.55 for Lent. I can give something up. I love snacking late at night, but, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's kind of a, a virtue in deprivation. I see. I mean, I see that the activity of yeah. Lent is character building in some way. Yeah, it is. Yep, it's discipline. Mm hmm. Yeah. Of course, you know, not snacking after 10 p.m. is nothing compared to not eating or drinking for 40 days and 40 nights and being tempted by Satan at the same time. But we got to start somewhere, you know? As long as the discipline is for the right reason, the discipline is for purification to serve. Uh, the discipline is not a goal unto itself. And actually, Jesus actually uh, attacked uh, the uh, Sadducees, you know, like, oh, look, uh, they, they, if you want to uh, fast, then don't fast in front of everyone where everyone sees what you're doing so you get, so you get recognition. Mm -hmm. uh, you fast, go in your room. 
yeah. fast there. And, and between you, it's between you and God. It's not you and the public. I think we talked about that last week. And it's like, if you want to pray, don't, you know, go into the town square and hiss, like with all sorts of theatrics, pray to God. You know, kneel silently in your closet and pray to God. He'll hear you just as well. You know, if there's no eyes upon you, he'll hear you. So I think that in some respects, you know, in Lent, if you tell everyone what you're giving up or whatever, and then you make a big deal out of like, can you believe it? I didn't need any snacks after 10 p.m. for 40 days. Like, that's not as virtuous as saying, you know, to honor Jesus is 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. I won't snack after 10 p.m. And you don't tell anyone. And then you accomplish it after 40 days and you're like, thanks for giving me the strength, God. Like, to sort of emulate Jesus in a small way, you know? But, like, you keep it between yourself and God. There is a virtue in that. I, I see doing stuff for virtue's sake or for righteousness' sake or for God's sake as, uh, there's, I don't know, I see there's something different about that than telling everyone that you know and then wanting to get praise or likes on social media or, or something because you did something. You know, doing it in private and using God as your uh, catalyst or your, your cheerleader, um, you know, asking him for strength and doing it to, for the glorification, that's more meaningful than for a couple dozen Facebook likes, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when I was young, uh, I uh, people would say, oh, uh, I repent, I'm sorry, uh, and... Uh, uh, or I go to church and, and please forgive me. I'm sorry and repent. And they go, okay. Uh, and then they go out and they go through the week. They'll do it again. Mm-hmm. And they come on Sunday to say, oh, I'm sorry, you know. And I'm thinking, are they saying they're sorry uh, to justify cleaning the slate so they can do it again? Like it's 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 more of it's not repenting, it it's it's not it, repentance. Uh, fasting is not a payment, a down payment to commit evil. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is a a dedication to not do evil, and some people use it as a device to say, oh, well, I've repented, and so uh, I can go out and do these things that I shouldn't be doing because I know that I can go in, I can fast, and then they'll be, they, they'll be washed away. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right to me. No, it's it like you... It didn't you, seem right to me. You love sin so much, so you use this little loophole that it, it gives you the... Uh, it gives you a sin-for-free card. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's like, oh, I did something, so now I get to sin again. Yay! I love sinning. <laughs> that doesn't seem like the, the mindset you should have. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a Christian because they allow me to do this, 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 and this to pay for my sins. So therefore I can sin as much as I want as long as I do this, 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 and this, pay for my sins, and I'm scot free. It's like you know this as a college professor. A student comes, they don't do the homework. They don't show up on exam days. They don't uh, write any memos. And then they come to you at the end of the semester and they say, is there any extra credit I could get so that I can get past this course? And it's like, you didn't do any of the work. Like, why should I give you extra credit? Like, like the work is the homeworks and the exams. 
Like the work is not sinning. There's not something you can do performatively that allows you to sin, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's a decent analogy. It's not perfect, but there's some logic no, to it. It's a good analogy because uh, if I say, oh, well, okay, yeah, you can do that. Then all of a sudden, all that work that everyone else did has very little meaning because they could have done what the other person yeah. did. Yeah. And like, oh, if you wash my car, I'll give you an A. Well, you're teaching statistics. So this person may not know a permutation from a combination, but at least your car's clean. But it's like you're vouching for them out in the world as someone that understands statistics. And they say, okay, well, we need to find uh, the standard de- or the variance of this stock price over the last six months. And they say, okay, well, um, I can get your headlights clean. Like that doesn't help, you know, if you need someone that understands statistics. And I think people see... Uh, I I know because I've experienced people see uh, repentance, uh, fasting, uh, asking forgiveness in that way. As it's transactional. If I do that, then my sin is gone. So that means I can sin again. Yep. And it's like it sounds like it sounds like you love sin. And that's why I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. because I love to sin. I love to do whatever I want. And then this 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 justifies me doing that in the eyes of all. And that's why that's why you get uh, uh, people who say, make sure you tithe, because if you tithe, then you're OK. <laughs> if you tithe, then you're going to be fine. And so giving that money is almost payment uh, to say, oh, good, I'm going to enter enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, from the word of God, says, that's not true. Yep. That's not true. Depart from me, ye who work iniquity, for I never knew you. The way you get to heaven is, is through a relationship, a personal relationship with God to where, anyway, that, that's, that's, now I'm starting to uh, preach. Do a little preach. Uh, well, we can pick up the <laughs> preaching next Thursday when we talk about the book of Mark. Let's go into Mark. Let's do Mark. Uh, we did not cover, we covered Matthew a little bit, but it, it was, this is not a study. This is just a podcast where we just two guys talking about it, right? Uh-huh. I read it. I read it cover to cover. I've never done that. Now I can say that I have. Good, good. There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot, and there's a lot that I'll forget. I think you do need to read it because, um, you know, you said it's not like a novel. It's not. You know what it reminds me of a little bit of? It's like song lyrics. And you remember the lines like, It's easier for a camel to enter into a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into Zion. That's a reggae line. But uh, uh, by Buju Banton. <laughs> Uh, but you remember the hits, but there's also a lot of stuff in between the choruses, which are like the lines you remember, like, let, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. That's like a chorus. But then there's verses in between and you don't remember those lyrics, but you go back and there's a lot of meaning in those lyrics. And the whole two and a half hours of reading is a lot like song lyrics. There's, they're densely packed with meaning. Every line, it's like poetry almost, you know? Every line means something, and every line can be interpreted in some way. So it's difficult to read like a novel. Yeah, the book of Matthew takes two 
plus hours to read. Under three hours. You just sit there and you read it. You're done. I'm I'm not even doing the page turn. I'm doing the Kindle tap. That's how you turn pages <laughs> in the Kindle. Um, less than three hours, you're done. But do you really understand it, reading through it? No. I don't. I think you do need to spend more time with it. But having read word for word the whole thing is better than not having read it at all. That's my oh, yeah. opinion. I feel like I can speak more knowledgeably about the book of Matthew having read it for the first time. And yeah. perfect is the enemy of the good. I think That's reading right. it is good. First read it. And then the second thing you do is read it again. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to. Uh, if you want to. <laughs> or not even read it. You read it all the way through first time. The second time is just go around and pick different things and read it. Mm -hmm. And just uh, you could read the rest of your life. The other thing too is that uh, when you took when you come to a story, there's so many ways you can parse that story out, the parable or a story that Matthew talks about it, and you say, what's the context? What's the the time there? What does it mean to us? And and it, it, just it's never ending, and that's why people spend their lives studying the Bible because it's so chuck full of stuff. It can mean so much stuff, but you know. Uh, my dad, Sequoia, getting back to Sons of Sequoia, and Sequoia, I need to mention him every every time, is that uh, I have his Bible, and he would write notes all over the place on the Bible. And uh, and his mother, my grandmother, Polly, uh, she was religious, and she, uh, um, she would always uh, teach the Bible to her, to her kids. And... Um, and my father, Sequoia, uh, he was a Sunday school teacher, and he would teach. And uh, he would come home, and he would not always agree with what the pastor said, because he would read the Bible. Mm -hmm. Because the Bible can, can mean so many things to so many people, and I think what's important is what does it mean to you, as long as it points you to God and to, to what God wants you to do. I think that's exactly what Jesus was trying to teach. So it's it's not about what does it do for me? Is it how can I serve God? And I think what Jesus was trying to teach was definitely don't you stop tithing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, you know, he was teaching the opposite of that. Well, should we end today's episode? Yes, let's end. Okay, do you want to say something while I play the flute while I play us out? Yes, I do. Hey, listen, keep on talking, but listen more than you talk, and when you listen, try to understand what they mean. Bye.